Section two of Madam How and Lady Why. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Madam How and Lady Why by Charles Kingsley. Section two. The Glen. Part two. Now come to the edge of the glen, and I will show you the mist that fell yesterday, perhaps, coming out of the ground again, and hard at work. You know of what an odd, and indeed of what a pretty form all these glens are. How the flat moor ends suddenly in a steep rounded bank, almost like the crest of a wave, ready like a wave crest to fall over, and as you know, falling over sometimes, bit by bit, where the soil is bare. Oh, yes, you are very fond of those banks. It is awfully jolly, as you say, scrambling up and down them, in the deep heath and fern. Besides, there are plenty of rabbit holes there, because they are all sand, while there are no rabbit holes on the flat above, because it is all gravel. Yes, you know all about it, but you know, too, that you must not go too far down these banks, much less roll down them, because there is almost certain to be a bog at the bottom, lying upon a gentle slope, and there you get wet through. All round these hills, from here to Aldershot in one direction, and from here to Windsor in another, you see the same shaped glens, the wave crest along their top, and at the foot of the crest a line of springs, which run out over the slopes, or well up through them in deep sand-galls, as you call them, shaking quagmires, which are sometimes deep enough to swallow up a horse, and which you love to dance upon in summer-time. Now, the water of all these springs is nothing but the rain and mist and dew, which has sunk down first through the peaty soil, and then through the gravel and sand, and there has stopped. And why? Because under the gravel, about which I will tell you a strange story one day, and under the sand, which is what the geologists call the upper bagshot sand, there is an entirely different set of beds, which geologists call the Bracklesham beds, from a place near the New Forest, and in those beds there is a vein of clay, and through that clay the water cannot get, as you have seen yourself when we dug it out in the field below to puddle the pond-head, and very good fun you thought it, and a very pretty mess you made of yourself. Well, because the water cannot get through this clay, and must go somewhere, it runs out continually along the top of the clay, and as it runs undermines the bank, and brings down sand and gravel continually, for the next shower to wash into the stream below. Now think for one moment how wonderful it is that the shape of these glens, of which you are so fond, was settled by the particular order in which Madame Howe laid down the gravel and sand and mud, at the bottom of the sea, ages and ages ago. This is what I told you, that the least thing that Madame Howe does to-day may take effect hundreds and thousands of years hence. But I must tell you, I think there was a time when this glen was of a very different shape from what it is now, and I dare say, according to your notions, of a much prettier shape. It was once just like one of those chines which we used to see at Barnmouth. You recollect them? How there was a narrow gap in the cliff of striped sands and gravels, and out of the mouth of that gap, only a few feet across, there poured down a great slope of mud and sand, the shape of half a bun, some wet and some dry, 
up which we used to scramble and get into the chine, and call the chine what it was in the truest sense, fairyland. You recollect how it was all eaten out into mountain ranges, pinnacles, steep cliffs of white and yellow and pink, standing up against the clear blue sky. Till we agreed that, putting aside the difference of size, they were as beautiful and grand as any Alps we had ever seen in pictures. And how we saw, for there could be no mistake about it there, that the chine was being hollowed out by the springs, which broke out high up the cliff, and by the rain which wore the sand into furrowed pinnacles and peaks. You recollect the beautiful place, and how, when we looked back down it, we saw between the miniature mountain walls the bright blue sea, and heard it murmur on the sands outside. So I verily believe we might have done, if we had stood somewhere at the bottom of this glen thousands of years ago. We should have seen the sea in front of us, or rather an arm of the sea, for Finchamstead ridges opposite, instead of being covered with farms and woodlands and purple heath above, would have been steep cliffs of sand and clay, just like those you see at Barnmouth now, and, what would have spoilt somewhat the beauty of the sight, along the shores there would have floated, at least in winter, great blocks and flows of ice, such as you might have seen in the tideway at King's Lynn the winter before last, growling and crashing, grubbing and ploughing the sand and the gravel and the mud, and sweeping them away into seas towards the north, which are now all fruitful land. That may seem to you like a dream, yet it is true, and some day, when we have another talk with Madame Howe, I will show even a child like you that it was true. But what could change a beautiful chine like that at Burnmouth into a wide-sloping glen like this of Bracknell's Bottom, with a wood like Coombs, many acres large, in the middle of it. Well, now, think. It is a capital plan for finding out Madame Howe's secrets, to see what she might do in one place, and explain by it what she has done in another. Suppose, now, Madame Howe had orders to lift up the whole coast of Burnmouth, only twenty or even ten feet higher out of the sea than it is now. She could do that easily enough, for she has been doing so on the coast of South America for ages. She has been doing so this very summer, in what hasty people would call a hasty and violent and ruthless way, though I shall not say so, for I believe that Lady Why knows best. She is doing so now steadily on the west coast of Norway, which is rising quietly, all that vast range of mountain-wall and iron-bound cliff, at the rate of some four feet in a hundred years, without making the least noise or confusion, or even causing an extra ripple on the sea. So light and gentle, when she will, can Madame Howe's strong finger be. Now, if the mouth of that chine at Barnmouth was lifted twenty feet out of the sea, one thing would happen— that the high tide would not come up any longer, and wash away the cake of dirt at the entrance, as we saw it do so often. But if the mud stopped there, the mud behind it would come down more slowly, and lodge inside more and more, till the chine was half filled up, and only the upper part of the cliffs continued to be eaten away, above the level where the springs ran out. So gradually the chine, instead of being deep and narrow, would become broad and shallow, and instead of hollowing itself rapidly after every shower of rain, as you saw the chine at Burnmouth doing, would hollow itself out slowly, as this glen is doing now. 
and one thing more would happen. When the sea ceased to gnaw at the foot of the cliffs outside, and to carry away every stone and grain of sand which fell from them, the cliffs would very soon cease to be cliffs. The rain and the frost would still crumble them down, but the dirt that fell would lie at their feet, and gradually make a slope of dry land, far out where the shallow sea had been, and their tops, instead of being steep as now, would become smooth and rounded. And so at last, instead of two sharp walls of cliff at the chine's mouth, you might have, just what you have here at the mouth of this glen, our mount and the warren hill, long slopes with sheets of drifted gravel and sand at their feet, stretching down into what was once an icy sea, and is now the Vale of Blackwater. And this I really believe Madam Howe has done, simply by lifting Hartford Bridge flat a few more feet out of the sea, and leaving the rest to her trusty tool, the water in the sky. That is my guess, and I think it is a good guess, because I have asked Madam Howe a hundred different questions about it in the last ten years, and she always answered them in the same way, saying, "'Water! Water, you stupid man!' But I do not want you merely to depend on what I say. If you want to understand Madam Howe, you must ask her questions yourself, and make up your mind yourself like a man, instead of taking things at hearsay or second-hand, like the vulgar. Mind, by the vulgar I do not mean poor people. I mean ignorant and uneducated people, who do not use their brains rightly, though they may be fine ladies, kings, or popes. The Bible says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So do you prove my guess, and if it proves good, hold it fast. And how can I do that? First, by direct experiment, as it is called. In plain English, go home and make a little Hartford Bridge flat in the stable-yard, and then ask Mrs. Howe if she will not make a glen in it, like this glen here. We will go home and try that. We will make a great flat cake of clay, and put upon it a cap of sand, and then we will rain upon it out of a watering-pot, and see if Mrs. Howe does not begin soon to make a glen in the side of the heap, just like those on Hartford Bridge Flat. I believe she will, and certainly if she does, it will be a fresh proof that my guess is right." and then we will see whether water will not make glens of a different shape than these, if it runs over soils of a different kind. We will make a Hartford Bridge flat turned upside down, a cake of sand with a cap of clay on the top, and we will rain on that out of our watering-pot, and see what sort of glens we make then. I can guess what they will be like, because I have seen them. Steep, overhanging cliffs, with very narrow gullies down them. "'but you shall try for yourself, and make up your mind "'whether you think me right or wrong. "'Meanwhile, remember that those gullies, too, "'will have been made by water. "'And there is another way of verifying my theory, as it is called. "'In plain English, seeing if my guess holds good, "'that is, to look at other valleys, "'not merely the valleys round here, "'but valleys in clay, in chalk, in limestone, "'in the hard slate rock such as you saw in Devonshire.' and see whether my guess does not hold good about them, too, whether all of them, deep or shallow, broad or narrow, rock or earth, may not have been all hollowed out by running water. I am sure if you would do this you would find something to amuse you, and something to instruct you, whenever you wish. I know that I do. 
To me the longest railroad journey, instead of being stupid, is like continually turning over the leaves of a wonderful book, or looking at wonderful pictures of old worlds which were made and unmade thousands of years ago. For I keep looking, not only at the railway cuttings, where the bones of the old worlds are laid bare, but at the surface of the ground, at the plains and downs, banks and knolls, hills and mountains, and continually asking Mrs. Howe what gave them each its shape. And I will soon teach you to do the same. When I do, I tell you fairly her answer will be in almost every case, running water. Either water running when soft, as it usually is, or water running when it is hard, in plain words, moving ice. About that moving ice, which is Mrs. Howe's stronger spade, I will tell you some other time, and show you, too, the marks of it in every gravel pit about here. But now, I see, you want to ask a question. And what is it? Do I mean to say that water has made great valleys, such as you have seen paintings and photographs of, valleys thousands of feet deep, among mountains thousands of feet high? Yes, I do. But, as I said before, I do not like you to take my word upon trust. When you are older you shall go to the mountains, and you shall judge for yourself. Still, I must say that I never saw a valley, however deep, or a cliff, however high, which had not been scooped out by water, and that even the mountain-tops which stand up miles aloft in jagged peaks and pinnacles against the sky, were cut out at first, and are being cut and sharpened still, by little else save water." soft and hard, that is, by rain, frost, and ice. Water, and nothing else, has sawn out such a chasm as that through which the ships run up to Bristol, between Lee Wood and St. Vincent's Rocks. Water, and nothing else, has shaped those peaks of the Matterhorn, or the Weisshorn, or the Pic du Midi of the Pyrenees, of which you have seen sketches and photographs. Just so water might saw out Hartford Bridge flat, if it had time enough, into a labyrinth of valleys and hills and peaks, standing alone, as it has done already by Ambarrow and Edgebarrow and the Folly Hill on the other side of the Vale. I see you are astonished at the notion that water can make Alps. But it was just because I knew you would be astonished at Madame Howe's doing so great a thing with so simple a tool, that I began by showing you how she was doing the same thing in a small way, here upon these flats. For the safest way to learn Madame Howe's methods is to watch her at work in little corners at commonplace business, which will not astonish or frighten us, nor put huge hasty guesses and dreams into our heads. Sir Isaac Newton, some will tell you, found out the great law of gravitation, which holds true of all the suns and stars in heaven, by watching an apple fall, and even if he did not find it out so, he found it out, we know, by careful thinking over the plain and commonplace fact that things have weight. So do you be humble and patient, and watch Madame Howe at work on little things, for that is the way to see her at work upon all space and time. What? You have a question more to ask? Oh, I talked about Madame Howe lifting up Hartford Bridge flat— how could she do that? My dear child, that is a long story, and I must tell it you some other time. Meanwhile, did you ever see the lid of a kettle rise up and shake when the water inside boiled? Of course. 
and of course too remember that madam how must have done it then think over between this and our next talk what that can possibly have to do with her lifting up hartford bridge flat but you have been longing perhaps all this time to hear more about lady why and why she set madam how to make bracknell's bottom my dear child the only answer i dare give to that is whatever other purposes she may have made it for she made it at least for this that you and i should come to it this day and look at and talk over it and thereby become wiser and more earnest and we will hope more humble and better people whatever else lady why may wish or not wish this she wishes always to make all men wise and all men good for what is written of her whom as in a parable i have called lady why the lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old i was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was when there were no depths i was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water before the mountains were settled before the hills i was brought forth while as yet he has not made the earth nor the fields nor the highest part of the dust of the world when he prepared the heavens i was there when he set a compass upon the face of the depth when he established the clouds above when he strengthened the fountains of the deep when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth then i was by him as one brought up with him and i was daily his delight rejoicing always before him rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth and my delights were with the sons of men now therefore hearken unto me o ye children for blessed are they that keep my ways that we can say for it has been said for us already but beyond that we can say and need say very little we were not there as we read in the book of job when god laid the foundations of the earth we see says st paul as in a glass darkly and only know in part for who he asks again has known the mind of the lord or who hath been his counsellor for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory for ever and ever amen therefore we must not rashly say this or that is why a thing has happened nor invent what are called final causes which are not lady why herself but only our little notions of what lady why has done or rather what we should have done if we had been in her place it is not indeed by thinking that we shall find out anything about lady why she speaks not to our eyes or to our brains like madam how but to that inner part of us which we call our hearts and spirits and which will endure when eyes and brain are turned again to dust if your heart be pure and sober gentle and truthful then lady why speaks to you without words and tells you things which madam how and all her pupils the men of science can never tell when you lie it may be on a painful sickbed but with your mother's hand in yours when you sit by her looking up into her loving eyes when you gaze out towards the setting sun and fancy golden capes and islands in the clouds and seas and lakes in the blue sky and the infinite rest and peace of the far west sends rest and peace into your young heart till you sit silent and happy you know not why when sweet music fills your heart with noble and tender instincts which need no thoughts or words 
eye, even when you watch the raging thunderstorm, and feel it to be, in spite of its great awfulness, so beautiful that you cannot turn your eyes away. At such times as these, Lady Huai is speaking to your soul of souls, and saying, My child, this world is a new place and strange, and often terrible, but be not afraid. All will come right at last. Rest will conquer restlessness. Faith will conquer fear. Order will conquer disorder. Health will conquer sickness. Joy will conquer sorrow. Pleasure will conquer pain. Life will conquer death. Right will conquer wrong. All will be well at last. Keep your soul and body pure, humble, busy, pious. In one word, be good, and ere you die, or after you die, you may have some glimpse of me, the everlasting why, and hear with the ears, not of your body, but of your spirit. Men and all rational beings, plants and animals, ay, the very stones beneath your feet, the clouds above your head, the planets and the suns away in farthest space, singing eternally. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are, and were, created. End of section 2 Read by Kara Schallenberg on January 20th, 2011, in San Diego, California.